to the Full Capacity Living Podcast, where we dive deep into many topics under the umbrella of integrative and functional medicine and overall health and wellness. I appreciate you tuning in to listen as this podcast is really a labor of love for me to share this information in a free format to support the health and wellness of everyone out there. Many, many years ago, health and wellness became very important to me in my own life. And I saw the power of nutrition and exercise in its ability to change our health outcomes. It really started with the idea that that heart disease was so prevalent in my family history. And I used to joke when people asked me about my eating habits or whatever so-called crazy healthy living habit I was researching at the time, that I was just trying to avoid having a heart attack. Because I didn't want to explain much more than that. People sort of didn't really understand it, but that was always my joke, right? Well, since those early days in my mid to late 20s, it's become so much more important to me as I transitioned into doing this work full-time. With my education in functional medicine, it became really clear to me that there was so much more beyond simple diet and exercise that influences our body's physiology and expression of health. So in this solo cast today, we delve into the science behind mindset. Mindset being defined as the core beliefs or assumptions that we have about the domain or a category of things that orient us to a particular set of expectations, explanations, and goals. Now, now this definition comes from Dr. Aliyah Crum. She is an associate professor of psychology at Stanford University and director of the Stanford Mind and Body Lab. Dr. Crum is a world expert on mindsets and belief and has and is conducting some of the most revealing research on how our mindsets affect our physiology. So in this vastly wordy definition, domain is what we would consider in health and wellness to be nutrition, stress, exercise. There are many domains in the world of mindset research, but for our purposes, we're focused on health and healthy behaviors and habits. So we're diving into those things today. For instance, stress. What's your mindset around stress? Do you view stress as enhancing or debilitating to you, as Dr. Crum would say from some of her research? It's really how we explain things and what our motivation is. As I said, we have mindsets about all sorts of things. They shape and orient our actions on a daily basis. And they can simplify things, right? Constrain our decision-making, make it easier, frankly. I mean, all day long, we can't really spend so much time making a decision about what we do. Our mindsets are deeply embedded within us that help us make those decisions on a daily basis about what we do or what we don't do. The challenge is to really kind of dig deep and figure out what are my mindsets and what do I really believe about certain things. I've referenced Carol Dweck before. She's another psychologist out of Stanford whose work was focused on fixed and growth mindset. So that's one way of thinking about a mindset and, you know, are you in a fixed or a growth mindset? Her work came from core beliefs about the nature of intelligence. Do you believe it's fixed or can we grow and change? That's really an oversimplified way of talking about it, but again, simplifying it, it helps you to understand and dig into maybe where is my mindset around this? 
am I open to change and growth? And do I think things could change? That's kind of a basic idea around mindset. So as we go through this solo cast, we're going to talk about some of the research that's being done, that has been done, and we're going to help you understand how to dig down into your mindsets and maybe start to shift those a little bit to help you with your health and wellness goals. So what we think and what we believe shapes the way our physiology and biology reacts to things like what we're eating or the stress that we experience or how our bodies view exercise. So what you believe about the nutritional content of your food actually changes the way that food impacts your brain and body to a remarkable degree. And as I said, this is the same for exercise, sleep, stress, and we're gonna dig into that. So, so there's an interesting um, study that, that Dr. Alia, and I can call her Ali Crum, um, has done, and it's around food, right? It's, it's do you have the mindset that healthy foods are disgusting and depriving or indulgent and helpful? And whether these are true or not, they have an impact on us. So there was a study that she would call the milkshake study that was done at Yale with Peter Salovey, who had some influence in emotional intelligence. And at the time, she was doing some work on food and obesity. So the question was, do our beliefs about what we are eating change our body's physiological response to that food? keeping con- constant the objective nutrients of that thing. So so keeping those things constant because of the placebo effect, we know that sometimes that happens already. So in this study, what they did was they told the participants that the milkshakes had really very different nutrient and metabolic concentrations and that they were designed to meet the needs of different patients at a hospital. Um, one shake they were told was high fat, high caloric, indulgent. The milkshake, you know, they told them it was something like 620 calories with high fat and sugar. The other point in time that they had a milkshake, they were told that it was low calorie, low fat, sensible, a diet shake. And in fact, the shakes that they had were exactly the same shake. It was a moderate amount of calories, about 300 calories per shake. And in this study, they were measuring the gut peptide response, and particularly ghrelin, the hunger hormone. Um, Some of you might not know this, ghrelin is a hormone that signals to your body that I need more food, I'm hungry. Sometimes that ghrelin can be elevated if we don't have a good night's sleep. It's one of the things that we know about the ghrelin hunger hormone. And a rise in ghrelin sends hunger signals, and the lowering of this hormone, you feel satiated. And it also revs up your metabolism to burn nutrients that you just consumed when it's lower. So when participants thought that they were consuming the high calorie shake, their ghrelin levels dropped threefold from when they thought they were consuming the more sensible shake. So this is interesting, right? It's maybe not the thing that you thought would have happened, right? when they were consuming the high calorie, or thought that they were consuming the high calorie shake, their actual ghrelin levels dropped threefold from the other shake, which was exactly the same shake. How interesting is that? 
So the mere thought and, and information that they thought they were consuming something that was higher calorie and satiating and indulgent helped their body physiologically produce a hunger hormone in lower levels that didn't make them hungry, right? Their bodies responded as if they had consumed more food. The first study to really show a change in physiology just from thinking that what you are eating is something good or not good for you. Secondly, the nature or the manner at which it affected our physiology was somewhat, it was counterintuitive, right? We always thought that the better mindset was to think you're eating something healthy, right? But here, when they thought they were eating something healthy, it led them to not be satiated. And that also corresponded to a slower metabolism. So to maintain or lose weight, the best mindset to be in is a mindset that you're eating indulgently, that you're having enough food, that you're getting enough food, right? Just thinking that. And consider the mindset effects of choosing a diet. So many are out there. There's so many different belief systems about what is the right way to eat, what is the wrong way to eat. And, and truly, it's very personalized. It's really very personalized to each person. Um, so one person could respond to a diet vastly differently than the next person does based on their physiology, but now we also know maybe based on their mindset. So we have influences of beliefs, social context, and our body's natural ability to respond to something. It matters what the diet is. That's that's definitely clear. Like you can't go eating, you know, McDonald's or you know, three times a week or three times a day and and think that you're still going to be okay if you just start thinking that it's a healthy thing to eat. It certainly matters what you eat, and it matters what others around you in our culture think about the diet because the social contexts really inform our mindsets. So. What do we often say? We say we are, you know, similar to the five closest people around you. And if you think that you should be eating a certain way and you don't live up to that, it can also have an adverse effect on you because of the stress that you're putting on yourself, right? Beliefs or mindsets are triggering physiological responses and the beliefs are shaped through social context as well, through things, through messages that we get. And it's really very interesting that when you consider um, this study and thinking that you're having something indulgent, usually in, in advertising, things that are thought of as indulgent are things that really are not healthy for us. If we look at most of the um, experience around food, um, most people are not talking about um, healthy food being indulgent and interesting and um, fun to eat, right? I mean, but it's, you know, let's, let's shift our mindset around that a little bit. So there's another study that I often reference to a lot of the people that I work with because I think it's really super important. And um, Dr. Crum was also involved in this study um, with Ellen Langer, another social psychologist out of Harvard. And it's, it's really one of my favorite studies to cite because it's so, so important. It's, it's a study that they did with with hotel workers and you know they designed the study and it was really looking at exercise looking at women who were her housekeepers pushing carts changing linen climbing stairs scrubbing floors they started out by asking this this large group of women if they thought that they were if they exercised at all in their lives 
And a third of them said, you know, basically, no, I, I, I don't exercise. And, um, you know, most of them thought, yep, I don't really exercise. And that their exercise was rated at about 3 out of 10 for exercise, if you rate it on a scale of 1 to 10. So they had the mindset that their work was just work and not that it was good for them or exercise. So they took this group of people and they split them into two groups. And they told them, they told half of them that the work was, was exercise and oriented them to the Surgeon General's recommendations about exercise and the benefits they could be receiving from this and should be receiving. And that it was actual facts and, and true information right? That everything that they were doing on a regular basis through their work was actually exercise. They, in the beginning of the study, they then measured weight, body fat, and blood pressure. And the second group, they didn't give them any of that information about the movement that they were doing every day being exercised. They just let them go on, do the same things that they'd always been doing. Um, you know, the other group didn't change what they were doing on a daily basis. They just changed the way they thought about it. Four weeks later, they came back, tested again. Guess what happened? They, they tested again weight, body fat, and blood pressure. These women showed a moderate amount of weight loss. They showed a decrease in their systolic blood pressure by an average of 10 points. And they had a better feeling about their health and wellness, right? They would rate themselves as as being healthier because they now realize that the work that they did on a daily basis was exercise. So here is some really important, I mean, we've got some physiological changes here from just changing the way you think about what you're doing on a daily basis. Now, I don't really want you to start thinking, oh, I don't need to exercise because walking up and down the stairs at my house or getting in and out of the car is exercise enough. There are parameters around exercise that are important, but I would also say, think about movement. You know, my, my question with most people is exercise and movement. Most people don't realize that the movement that they do on a daily basis is really exercising good for them, right? We think about the blue zones, which is Dan Buettner's work around people around the world who live to be centenarians. They're not out running marathons. They're not out on Peloton bikes 45 minutes, five, six times a week. They are actually in places where they move their body. They, they're moving up and down hills. They're outside. They're connecting with people. There's so much more than intense exercise that is really beneficial for our bodies and our minds. So I, I really think that Thinking about movement, you have to think about the benefits of what you're already doing. There's also another study that they asked about, they asked people, how much exercise do you get relative to others? Do you get the same, a little bit more, or a lot more? And, you know, this is relative to the people that you have in your life or what you've done, because if you've been an intense exerciser for a long time and all of a sudden you're not doing that or you're not able to or something's come in the way, you might think, nah, I'm not doing very much, but you're probably doing more than other people. But the study showed that there was a 71% higher death rate over 21 years if people rated themselves as feeling they were getting less activity than others. 
So this was not an experimental study. It was definitely looking at literature. But I think what we can take from that is to really not make ourselves feel horrible when we're not what we think are not getting enough exercise, right? If you start to think of the things that are going on in your life at the time, the movement and the exercise that you can do, start thinking about that as enough in that time. Let's say that there's something going on in your life where you just, for a short period of time, don't have the time to go and do the exercise that you know you want to do. Rather than beating yourself up about it, really start to think about the fact that I'm doing what my body needs right now. And especially if your body's telling you that you don't feel very good, you're, you're exhausted after you, after you exercise, it's not energizing you anymore, your recovery time is taking longer, that's a sign that you need to start to pay attention to how your body feels. There's just times in our lives when exercise or movement just isn't possible to the level that we think is necessary for us. But consider the fact that maybe if you're running around after a toddler or you can't make it to the gym as regularly, that just thinking of exercise as that is really, really powerful. So play more, get it in with the things that you're present in your day. Um, the other day I have to say when I was gone out of town at a place where I could um, get on a swing and swing, I realized how how much energy you have to expend to actually swing on a swing set. It was pretty amazing and that's so fun for me and I thought, you know what, <laughs> this is this could be exercise, right? I think it's important to think about the potency of exercise. Food also has a potency, it gives us energy. Exercise gives us energy. If you're noticing that it's not giving you energy, then there's something to reconsider about that and thinking about exercise and how it matters to you. So. What is there right away in terms of cultivating behaviors and beliefs about things? What, how can we do this? How, can we, how do we cultivate the behaviors and mindsets about those things that serve us, right? One of the things that um, I got from listening to an interview with Ali Crum is that, that she, she really changed the way she um, personally looked at food and food in the context of some of the research that she was doing. She mentioned that she always wanted to be fit, lose weight, have low fat, low carb, and constantly restraining from food. And she realized that the constant mindset of restraint and that mindset of restraint counteracts the benefits of the diet. The, her brain was saying, I want to eat more food to survive. And, and you know the answer isn't just throwing all those things away. It's eating healthy foods in a mindset of indulgence, a mindset of satisfaction and enjoyment. Knowing that healthy food is something that works well for your body and eat them with energy and vibrance, right? So, you know, many years ago, I was working in a facility and, and around a couple of people, one of them saying to me at lunchtime, and I don't, I honestly don't think I was eating anything that strange. It was probably a salad with a bunch of interesting little things in it. But this person asked me, she said, do you eat that because you like it or because it's good for you? And there was a little disdain in that question. She was kind of like, eh, you know, I, I don't understand why you're eating this stuff. And, and I sat and thought about it for a few seconds and I thought, well, I'm actually doing it both, right? Like as you start to eat foods that serve your body and are healthier for you, 
you start to enjoy them more and you start to look at those things and crave them because actually, and at the time I didn't realize that this was what was happening, but your gut microbiome turns over about, it could turn over, you know, quickly in about 24 hours, but over five days period, when you kind of pull out things that are not supportive of your diet and you bring in things that are supportive, it starts to change and that gut bacteria actually drives your cravings. It can also change your taste buds, which turn over every two weeks. So the idea of thinking about healthy food initially when you start to shift into this, it's probably not going to taste as good as the stuff that you might have been eating, whatever that is. But eventually, and giving it, you know, five days, 10 days, you're going to start to feel differently about that food and starting to think differently about it as well as feel differently about it actually supports your your health overall. So changing the way you think about your food. In the beginning, it's going to be like, okay, I'm eating this. Why are you eating it? We've talked a lot about the why um, in terms of shifting behaviors and habits, right? So understanding just, just the mindset around it, I do think it's important. So, so sleep is another thing that we can talk about, right? So thinking about the mindset and the mindset around, around sleep, there, there was a study around sleep and it gave fake feedback and asked the participants um, about the, the sham feedback. If it told them that the, they had a lower quality of sleep, did it lead to deficits in cognitive tasks? It actually did. So what they did in this study, um, and there's, there's not many studies around sleep and mindset, but this is one where um, it, it, these people got a good night's sleep, but they were told that they didn't get a good night's sleep. And that actually led to deficits in cognitive tasks following that information. The idea is, okay, so you know, I know a lot of us are wearing sleep trackers, and I think it's really helpful to kind of get a sense of what your sleep is actually doing. But there can also be a challenge with that, right? That if you feel like you got a good night's sleep and then your sleep tracker tells you, no, it was really not that great, maybe it's time to put it aside for a little while. I did have a client recently who, who said she was getting so much anxiety because she was wearing her um, Apple Watch to bed and tracking her sleep and the sleep was... You know, it was saying that she wasn't getting enough sleep and she was having anxiety. She'd wake up in the middle of the night. And I said, listen, take the sleep tracker off, use the watch during the day, maybe to track steps, but don't focus so much on it and try to use some of the other tools around sleep and, and telling yourself that you're having a good night's sleep, right? That you, you're going to go to bed and have a good night's sleep. There are some tools that you can use before that. So, so little more information needs to be done on sleep trackers and sleep um, mindsets, but I think that that's burgeoning field. People are talking about sleep all over the place and it truly is important, but also the way you think about sleep is important. So let's talk a little bit about stress and the stress mindset. There's some super interesting research about this. So um, nature of stress, right? The public health message is that stress is bad, and you know, I'll tell you this was eye-opening for me to hear this research because my work really is about helping people understand the effect of stress on the body. And this really talks a little bit more about the nature and your relationship to stress and how you see stress. 
things are not always always clear cut, right? There's there's larger evidence that it, the experience of stress does not have to be debilitating. It can be more connected to the way you see stress or the way you look at stress. Um, our bodies can manage stress in those moments. Our bodies are really made. The autonomic nervous system with the parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous system, meaning you know, parasympathetic being rest and digest and sympathetic being the fight or flight, we're made that way, right? Why do we have both of those? Because we need them, right? It's more about the balance of those things. It doesn't mean that you're not going to experience stress, but our bodies can learn to manage stress. We just don't want to be in that stress response all the time. It's the chronic stress that we know um, can be debilitating, but it's also from this research what we know the mindset about what you think about stress. Some of the good things about stress is that it can narrow your focus. It can speed up your rate of processing information. Also thinking about like physiological strengthening. Does, strength, does stress strengthen you? And there is some inf information and evidence to show that, right? There's some, some emerging research that talks about post-traumatic growth from stress. Now again, you know, if you listen to my last podcast, we talked about trauma and stress with Dr. James Gordon, and the message there is really, what can we do with that, right? How do we start to reimagine that and look differently at stressors? So I think both of these things blend themselves together really well. Does stress lead to an enhanced sense of connection, a joy and passion for living, if you can think about it in a different way? The true nature of stress really is a paradox. It's complex and lots of things can happen. So I want you to keep that in mind as we talk about this, this research because the role of our mindset in stress and in shaping our response to stress, stress is truly amazing. We can think about resilience. I remember when I first worked at uh, the Cleveland Clinic and started to learn more a little uh, more about the um, Adverse Childhood Experiences Survey, which is the ACES survey. You can take that, come up with a score, and see, you know, based on that score, you know, where you are in relation to the traumatic experiences that you might have had in your, in your life. And I remember thinking, you know, we're only talking about the traumatic experiences, and sometimes you give people this score, it can make them really kind of nervous. It made me a little nervous, because my score was not low. Um, it wasn't super high, but it was definitely in a place where I went, oh, how's that going to affect me as I get older? But I also think it's important to think about the resiliency part of that. What did you have in your life that made you a little more resilient or shifted the way you thought about those experiences? So, so the idea here is the perception of the stressor. When you view them as a challenge instead of a threat, your brain and body can respond more adaptively. So the question that was looked at in this research was they looked at a core level. Do you view stress as something that is bad, something that's going to kill you and therefore should be avoided? Or do you view it as a natural thing and something that's going to enhance us, right? What can I learn from this experience of stress? The research was around people's view of stress or the relationship to stress. So they wanted to answer a question such as, how do you view stress? Do you view it as something that enhances my performance and productivity? Does stress heighten my vitality and growth? 
and they found that this enhancing stress mindset was linked to better health outcomes, better well-being, and higher performance. So, so here they designed a study to see, and they, meaning um, Dr. Ali Crum at the Stanford Mind and Body Clinic, um, they designed a study to see if they could change people's mindset. They created these multimedia presentations about stress facts, all true, but oriented toward one mindset or the other. That stress is good and stress can enhance you or stress was bad and you know, not empowering, right? The public health of perception of stress, again, is that it's bad and, and that we don't see it as empowering. Um, then the other side was empowering, right? Stress is empowering and how we've built in, how we have a built-in mechanism for handling it and that it can do this, it can change us. Like, you know, thinking about true leaders who emerge um, from high-stress situations. That ha- we, we see that happening all the time, right? There's two mindsets around stress. So they wanted to see if, if they could change people's mindsets about stress by showing them different information based on factual things. So does orienting people to a different mindset change how they actually respond to stress? So, so what happened, right? So this study was done during the financial crisis of 2008. They used some employees at UBS who were being laid off and um, taking on more financial risk and more pressure. You remember 2008 was not necessarily a great time, housing crisis, all kinds of things happening. They had three groups. One, you know, was the control group who were shown no videos, nothing. Then there was the group that was shown videos and multimedia information about stress being a positive thing, and then also the negative aspects of stress. So those three groups. So they found that this did lead to changes in their mindset around stress, which led then to changes in their physiological symptoms associated with stress, which I think is the really important thing, right? I mean, not everything, you know, as we said, it's a complex thing. Stress is a very complex thing, but, but what they found was those who watched the films that supported stress enhancing their abilities had fewer backaches, less muscle tension, less insomnia, less heart racing. Um, they also performed better at work. So this was a self-report, right, that they performed better at work. And compared to those who watched the debilitating videos, they, they didn't make anyone worse watching the debilitating videos, but they didn't make anyone better. So I think when, you know, of course there's more research to be done on this, but when you start to think about the research that's been done on mindset, wow, that's really powerful stuff, right? Um, you know, Dr. Ali Crum also talks a little bit about SEAL team research. She's done some research with SEAL teams, which is um, the pretty intense team of individuals going into super stressful conditions and you know when you take a survey of people just general groups of people around um, the world every group usually says that stress is bad except for the SEAL team group they look at stress as a source of strength and you know as a as a rule they're rated by their peers more positively and you know we're better in certain obstacle courses when stress was present so it doesn't mean so this you know take this information and understand it doesn't mean that you should be saying I like stress right and 
having that stress is enhancing mindset really doesn't mean that you view it as a good thing. It's not like you're going to say, okay, you know, I, I just had, you know, my house burned down and okay, that was a good thing because now, I mean, you're not really, it's not this Pollyanna thing. It's really more saying to yourself, you know, viewing stress as something that is, is enhancing for how that mindset really comes to be like when something happens to you. So we're not saying, you know, I got cancer. That's a good thing, right? But the experience of stress associated with leading to enhancing outcomes with our cognition, our health, our performance, our well-being. Those who have the stress is debilitating mindset. They go to one or another extreme. They either freak out and get anxiety and worry about all kinds of things, or they just check out and they act as though that stress isn't present and just check out with other things that are mind-numbing because you either need to get rid of it and and not deal with it or it needs to just not exist right that's people with the stress as a debilitating mindset but when you do that from a functional medicine perspective we know that 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 stressor you're burying it deep in your body you're just not expressing it you're not paying attention to it and that we definitely know is not um, a healthy thing for your physiology. So if you have a stresses-enhancing mindset, the motivation actually changes. The motivation is how do I utilize the stress to realize these enhancing outcomes? What can we do here to learn from this, to make us stronger, fitter, um, to have maybe some better science for the future, some treatments, deepen my relationships with others, maybe change my priorities? The effect around that stress changes when you think about it as an enhancing mindset. It doesn't make it easy to deal with the stress, but the research shows that that people who have a stress is enhancing mindset have a more positive affect and not necessarily less negative, but they're, they're orienting themselves more to a positive thing, right? You still understand that this is a challenging experience. It's not fun. But there are a few studies that have shown people who are inspired to adopt a more stresses-enhancing mindset have a more moderate cortisol response. And, you know, if you've listened to some of my podcasts, you know that cortisol is what we call our stress hormone. And it's there for a reason, right? It brings us to a place where we can motivate and get things done. We just don't want cortisol to be high all the time. But... When you have that inspired, um, stresses-enhancing mindset, it's a more moderate cortisol response. So you're not getting those spikes. And we also have higher levels of DHEA in response to the stress. When we do some testing with people in functional medicine, we're, we're looking at the balance of cortisol and DHEA. What you want is it's an inverse relationship, right? So if you can have a more moderate response and higher levels of DHEA, then we know that that's a more natural physiological response and that it sort of brings it down, right? Your cortisol comes down after that because you start to think in a more um, inspired way. Um, There's definitely more studies that need to be done on the physiology, but I do think that um, it's it's important to understand that. You know, thinking of a mindset as, as a kind of a portal between conscious and subconscious processes. The the mindset that we have that we're asking you sort of 
dig a little bit deeper. Ask what that mindset is because it's probably very subconscious right now. Um, you can you can understand that there is this release of hormones from a subconscious or autonomic nervous system idea, right? We know that that's what happens. We don't always we aren't always aware of what's happening, and this this podcast is really good. We're gonna dig a little bit deeper to help you understand how do I make that a little bit more conscious to me to understand what is my mindset around these things. So if you have a default mindsetting that and pre-programmed that stress is bad, then you're likely going to have this physiological response. Now, we don't really know that it's been programmed. We're not always aware of it, but it comes from our upbringing. It comes from society. It comes from public health and media. It just sits there as an assumption. And, and your brain is trying to figure out, how should I respond to this situation? And again, as we talked about in the beginning, these mindsets allow you to not have to spend a lot of time making that decision, but then we're doing it mindlessly, right? We're not paying attention to how we're actually choosing on a subconscious level to respond to some of these things. And again, this is the awareness that we want to create around this. How can I be aware of what my subconscious mindset is and how can I start to shift it? Because it will trigger the body to rev up some things that put you in that protect me mode rather than things that help you grow, right? Maybe if I can sit with this a little bit and I can grow through it and start to ask myself, is this a response that I want? Or can I choose to maybe have a different response? So what's really cool about that is that you can access it from your consciousness. Once you know that you can do that, you can become more aware of what your mindset is. It's really an invitation to bring your stress mindset into consciousness. Ask yourself, what is my stress mindset? What do I think about stress? I can say that I'm gonna start to really re redo what I work on with some of the people that I, I talk to about stress um, to help them just shift this mindset a little bit more and really start to pay attention to it because we don't wanna just leave people with stress is bad right? We want them to say, okay, how can I reprogram that and start to think of it as an enhancing thing for me? What tools can we use for that? What's really interesting is that, that, you know, we often, I often talk to people about being hardwired for negativity from an evolutionary perspective. Um, we talk about the tiger chasing us, you know, we know that that's, that's there. We default to that negative mindset a lot more. And, and we just kind of know that. And I'm reminded about this book that is, is so powerful in that called Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. It chronicles his experience as a prisoner in the Nazi concentration camps during World War II and describes his a psycho psychotherapeutic method, which he came up with, that um, involved identifying a purpose in life and to feel positive about and then immersively imagining that outcome. This book is really powerful, so check it out if you haven't read it or know about it. The book focuses on love, hope, responsibility, inner freedom, and the beauty to be found in both nature and art as a means to help one endure and overcome difficult experiences. You know, I, I also think about my father-in-law, who was in a Russian prison camp in World War II and spent his time painting with watercolors he found under his bunk, right? He turned this challenging time into a place where he, he actually could create humor and art and connection with people. And he was truly one of those people that cultivated that. He had a little bit of it in his hard drive, but he also 
cultivated that. He was the most optimistically inclined person I ever knew, uh, besides maybe his son. <laughs> okay, so how should we think about stress? Ask yourself that question. How do we leverage our stress? It's not about just managing or coping with it. That implies sort of a fighting against it. And again, you know, I'm changing my language around this after hearing about this research. I think that's my growth mindset, right? I'm always looking, how can I shift and change and grow in the information that I provide to other people? So we need to just decouple that from a negative place. Here's the other interesting thing that I found really fascinating. We, we tend to only stress about things that we care about, that are very important to us. So Dr. Crum talks about the fact that stress is really linked to things that we care about. And so if you realize this, it's because we care, right? You don't stress about things you don't care about. And if you are, maybe that's really getting into a realm that you need to kind of check out about. But what she talks about is, you know, if, if there was so-called, you know, Emily who was failing in school, that you wouldn't stress out unless Emily was your daughter or you were concerned with educating the Emilies of the world, right? If it's true that these things are really about what we care about, the question then becomes, how can I better utilize or leverage or respond to the inevitable stresses that we'll experience? So Dr. Ali Crum, from her research, has developed a three-step approach to adopting a stresses-enhancing mindset. And I think this can be really important. Again, the base level is acknowledging that you're stressed. That's a lot of the work that I do with people because I think that we minimize stress and we just say, oh, my stress is not as big as so-and-so's stress, so I shouldn't be stressed. But I think acknowledging that you're stressed, owning it and seeing it to be mindful of it is really the first step. And that's really what Dr. Crum is saying. It's acknowledging that you're stressed out, owning it, seeing it, being mindful of it, not pushing it down and, and seeing that it's not there. The second step that she talks about is welcoming it. And I know that might sound a little bit strange, but because it's something that you care about, use it as an opportunity to reconnect to what it is that you care about. You know, if you're stressed about your child not doing well in school, Think about, well, how can I leverage this? Like, I'm not gonna just, you know, mire in the, the muddy waters of that stress and just get anxious about it. I'm gonna say, okay, let me step back. How can I empower myself to grow in this and learn a way to leverage that, right? So the third step is utilizing that stress response to achieve the thing you care about not spending your time and effort or energy to get rid of the stress. I mean, I think in the moment, it can be helpful to do things that I talk about, maybe a breath practice, a four, seven, eight breath, to really give yourself a moment to step back and make the choice about how you wanna utilize that stress response. So I think those tools are still incredibly helpful. I'm, we're not at all saying, you know, get rid of all the, the breath work that you might do or the mindset tools or the meditation but it's about how can I use this in a positive way to grow and to heal whatever that stress is. I would add here that, that some of those tools to balance, you know, as we talked about, balancing that autonomic nervous system and allowing some time in that parasympathetic nervous system, the, the rest and digest, 
is really important. Um, but starting to see stress as not the enemy, but rather a tool that you can channel and use in a positive direction is really where you want to go. So rather than seeing it, you know, as we said, checking out, um, using these steps, but checking out can lead to depression and anhedonia. Um, since you're checking out from the things that you actually care about. So if you're, if you're over analyzing it and just worry, worry, worry without getting proactive about something, um, or you're just sinking back and just kind of ignoring it, those are things that are, are maybe um, moving in a direction that you don't want to do. Um, it really puts a new bent on the work that I do with my clients, still acknowledging the stress, but that change is welcoming it, you know, looking for the idea of what can I learn from this? You know, another interesting piece is the influence that we get from our culture. Um, you know, going back to, you know, we're moving out of the stress conversation, going back to the healthy food conversation and talking about, um, you know, what we talked about in terms of healthy foods, right? There are people out there who are influencers and influencers don't necessarily mean that they're influencing us in a good way necessarily. Um, some of the mindsets come from influencers who, you know, are out there in the culture and the media, podcasts, movies, influential people. Um, there's an interesting study that again was done out of Dr. Crumb's um, lab where they studied the top movies and social media influencers to analyze nutrition. And what they found was 70 to 90% would fail the standards for advertising in the UK, which is important, I'll talk about that, um, meaning that they're, they're undeniably unhealthy, right? And the, the way that they were portrayed is that unhealthy foods um, are, are pleasurable and desirable. They denote this idea that they're desirable, pleasurable, exciting, fun, dangerous, indulgent, anything good and indulgent, like things like cake, candies, high fat and sugar, processed foods. That's what is, is showing up in our, in our culture, in our media. And it's important to say that they would fail the standards for advertising in the UK because we definitely know that the UK and the US have decidedly different standards for what is healthy and nutrition and, and frankly, in lots of things. I mean, you know, ingredients that are banned in the UK are in full use in the US because we don't have restrictions on those from the FDA. Um, we have to actually prove that things are unhealthy before we take them off the market, where in the UK, they have to prove that things are healthy before they get into the market. So that's why I think that's a really important standard to think about. The way people are talking about food. So how do you, what is your relationship and your language around the food that you eat? Um, when people are talking about healthy food, they rarely ever talk about it, except in a way of being like deprivation or boring or bland or untasty, or, you know, I'm on this, this, you know, elimination diet and, you know, I have to take out all this good food. But if you can really shift that and start to change the way you talk about that food, and as I talked about earlier, as you start to change your microbiome and your tastes, you're really gonna start to see these foods as something that are, are more indulgent. What if we just started talking about food that is healthy for us as food that is indulgent, right? So kind of, you know, I mean, the challenge is that, that processed foods are the things that advertisers get paid for. Um, 
you're certainly not going to get paid for um, promoting lettuce greens or, um, you know, carrots and, and things that we know are healthy. I mean, there are some products out there that are really health, healthy that maybe could get some advertising money, but it's not seen as readily. Um, and if you, if you populate your content with that, then you're actually going to get more information about that, right? And the other thing is, I think it, it needs to be said that it doesn't have to be a competition between something like ice cream and vegetables. You don't have to get people to hate ice cream to like vegetables. Um, and that's actually a study that's in the journal of the JAMA, it's a JAMA study. So Journal of American Medical Association. So that's kind of an important study to think about. So I'll put that in the show notes as well as a lot of the other things that we talked about. There's one more study out of Stanford that I wanted to talk about. And this might sound controversial to people who have children who have allergies um, with peanuts, but understand that this is being done out of the allergy clinic at Stanford University um, with kids that have a peanut allergy. And they're doing gradually increasing doses of the thing that they are allergic to um, to help them become less reactive. Now these are very, very, very small micro doses of things. And um, I will link to that study so that you can see the details of it, but I think it's important to talk about. So, you know, this study is um, talking about, you know, we have a very negative response um, about eating peanuts, um, especially for kids, because they are eating the thing that they were told would kill them. But in this study, they're trying to reframe the mindset about symptoms. And, um, you know, it, it is real. I, I acknowledge that the, the peanut allergy can be real, but what they're doing in this very controlled study is that they're trying to reframe that mindset about the symptoms. And they showed the responses were about learning to tolerate the, if they were told that, that the, the negative symptoms that they were experiencing were actually a positive sign that the treatment was working and their body was getting stronger and that the immune markers at the end, they actually showed better improvement of immune markers towards the end. And the responses to this were, were mechanistically linked to the body learning how to tolerate peanuts and making the body stronger. By using that more positive mindset with some of the children, the outcomes um, physiologically were actually better. That in a mindset that it, it reduced the anxiety, it reduced the amount of symptoms, they had better outcomes with those immune markers when they took this group of children and talked to them about those negative responses that they were having as they introduced the peanuts. Um, and certainly, again, this is very controlled study. They, they had better outcomes when the kids were actually told that these negative symptoms that were at a smaller level um, were actually positive things. So blending treatment with mindsets to have better outcomes is what we're talking about here. And this study is out as well. So I'm gonna link that study as well so that you can um, read that and understand it if you if you wanna dig more into it. So, so really understanding, you know, what is the best way to teach and learn a mindset? How do we consciously and deliberately make that change? And in anything that, that I have talked about in terms of changing mindset and the work that I do with my clients, it's really about awareness, right? We have to be aware that these things are happening before we can actually change them. So shifting around and really digging deep is asking yourself, what, what is my mindset? 
what that that's the question you want to start asking and then the second step is really to start think about thinking about what are the effects of those mindsets in my life is it helpful or harmful to me not right or wrong but helpful or harmful then seek out ways to adopt a more useful mindset in whatever it is that you're trying to do my suggestion is start small you know, starting small, people feel like, oh, well, that doesn't really give me the big amp- impact that I want. But starting small helps you to build those new neural pathways to see that if I start shifting things in a really small way about my mindset, maybe I'm going to challenge myself. Is this really something that's helping me? Right? Maybe you think that coffee gives you this boost of energy that you really need, but maybe six cups of coffee in a day probably isn't the best thing for you, right? Maybe if you started to shift your mindset around that and say, well, I'm going to experiment. I'm going to try something different. I'm going to start changing that out for maybe a little bit of green tea or maybe shift it out for something that is non-caffeinated and see how your body responds, right? Small shifts. If you're drinking a lot of coffee, certainly this is not a small shift. You have to do it slowly. But really, you know, that let's just think about how can you change it right with adults it's harder i think with with children it's much easier to start shifting those things but i I do think that we all have the power to do that Um, instilling a healthy mindset if you have children like instilling that healthy mindset about healthy foods are indulgent you can start that now right Ooh, i'm super excited we're having you know roasted brussels sprouts tonight we don't always get that. That's kind of an indulgence. Um, I'm certain that if my family listens to this, they would be um, cracking up right now because my niece just reminded me the other day that I forced her to eat green beans when she was a young child and it scarred her for life. Um, maybe I didn't talk about it as being as indulgent as I should have, right? Um, but, you know, I, I'd really like to just help people shift that idea. Um, And not to get dogmatic about some of these things. That's really another piece of the puzzle. Um, You know, just exploring what's the effect of my mindset on my exercise, my nutrition, my sleep, my stress. Each one of these things can be just a little piece of the puzzle to helping you live a healthier, happier life. See what's serving you and find what's more useful and how can I adapt my mindset. So the power of the mind. I, I want to let you know that I'm going to be um, linking some of the, um, the research here. I'm also going to be linking um, uh, how you can find out a little bit more about Dr. Ali Crum's research um, from Stanford University. All of those links will be in the show notes, so make sure to check the show notes out. You can find those on the Apple Podcast. You can also find those on my website. Um, And there's also some toolkits to how to work through your stress mindset on the Stanford website, Spark, which is S-P-A-R-Q. That's under the Stanford EDU um, website link that I'll give you. So I really hope that you found some really helpful information through this, this podcast today. It's really fun for me to do these solo casts where I can kind of focus and hone in on certain things that, that I find in the work with my patients is really critically important information. So mindsets are so very um, important, but they're also fascinating. And learning to start to shift those mindsets 
is really the hard work that I think we can all start to do. Thank you for listening. And again, you know, if you really enjoyed this, please think about reviewing and rating the podcast on Apple. Um, you can just swipe down to the bottom of the podcast. If you get onto the podcast app, um, swipe down to the bottom. It'll give you um, where you can rate it with a five-star review if you really found this was helpful and important. Um, and writing a review also helps as well. I would really appreciate if you'd do that and sharing this, right? Share the podcast. Let us know what you think about it, but share it if you found it useful. And see you in two weeks with another episode of Full Capacity Living Podcast. Thanks again. Take care.